Just take a moment. Breathe in through your nose, a deep calming breath. And then out through your mouth, long and slow. Keep going deep and slow. You're here listening because you care. You're here because you want to know more. You're here because you are strong enough. You're listening to the Strong Enough Podcast from Eating Disorders Families Australia. Self-care is vital. Use this short meditation at the start of each podcast to take a moment for yourself. Keep those calming breaths going as you listen to this episode, which is sponsored through the generosity of people facing similar challenges. Something just told me I had to call her over and, and just have and just check. There was I, I don't know what it was, it was really gut feeling. I looked in her school pockets and there was a wet, soggy wheat fix in each of her school pockets. It's so important to take some time for yourself. At EDFA, we always say that um, carers are the front line of the recovery team. Uh, so if they fall over, if they aren't able to fulfill their role, their really crucial role in that recovery process, it really can slow down um, the recovery. They're not doing this alone. People have been through this and they have gotten through it. Uh, recovery is possible, uh, particularly if you've got some support around you. Welcome to Strong Enough, the podcast from Eating Disorders Families Australia, an organisation caring for carers around the country. I'm your host, Joe Stone, and in this first episode, we'll meet Jane Rowan, the Executive Director at EDFA. She's a former journalist, an accomplished communications leader, and also a mum who has supported her teenage daughter through an eating disorder diagnosis. There was no time left for anything else. It was literally going from meal to meal. And if I did have any time in between each of those periods, it was about researching what, what I was dealing with. Jane's lived experience brings a deep understanding to her role and combined with the support of other staff at EDFA who have also been on the same journey, this personal experience shapes and informs the important work of this national support network. Today, we're going to go through EDFA's diagnosis to-do list, which you can download from the website and there's a link in the show notes too. This list is a really good starting point, combining insider knowledge with leading expertise. And at the end of each podcast, every guest leaves us with three of their best tips to help you survive and thrive. Jane Rowan, welcome to Strong Enough. Hi Joe, it's lovely to be here with you today. Jane, let's start with a checklist. The checklist starts with making that appointment with a doctor or your family GP, but that's usually prompted by a little bit of a gut feeling, isn't it? So tell us, what were the signs for you that your daughter Charlie really needed help? Uh, Joe, there were several signs um, fairly um, early on that we probably missed, to be honest. So it really started when Charlie came home from school and said that um, she wanted to start eating more healthily. And as a parent, we were sort of cheering ourselves going, well, this is great. We've brought up this wonderful teenager who wants to really look after herself and grow up to be healthy and strong. Uh, so we supported that. 
Um, and then we noticed that she was starting to exercise a lot more and she was talking about how she wanted to get fit. And again, initially we're going, this is great. Um, you know, she's really taking her health seriously. Um, but then it starts to deteriorate. Uh, and we, we noticed that she started to restrict what she was eating quite severely. It was um, getting worse and worse each week. Mm. Uh, she lost a lot of weight very quickly. That was obviously, um, you know, it's a very obvious sign when you suddenly see the weight starting to fall off. Um, but I think for me, the thing, it was, it was a gut feeling. Uh, she'd been, we'd been keeping a close eye on her for probably, you know, four to six weeks. Uh, and she'd been away in the holidays. She'd come back from holidays and I'd noticed that she had lost, again, a lot more weight. And it was the first day of school in term four. She was in grade 10. She was uh, 15 years old. And something just told me I had to be in the kitchen and watch her, watch her eat, um, make sure she had a proper breakfast. And uh, she got out two wheat picks and put honey on them and put some milk on them. And I was thinking, okay, that looks like a good, decent breakfast. That's okay. I think I turned around to make a coffee and uh, when I turned back, she was getting up to go back to her room. She had her uniform on, her school uniform, which has two large pockets on either side of the school uniform. And something just told me I had to call her over and, and just have and just check. There was I, I don't know what it was. It was really gut feeling. And so I, I did. I called her over. I said, Charlie, just come over here. And she walked over and um, I looked in her school pockets and there was a wet, soggy wheat bix in each of her school pockets. Mm. And at that point, I knew we had a big problem. So uh, I said to her, you need to go and get out of your uniform. You're not going to school today and we're going to see the doctor. And did you get a diagnosis right then and there from the doctor? Yeah, we did actually. We were lucky. We, we've been we've had a, a long-term GP, so we know her really, really well. Uh, and I actually rang her um, and asked to speak to her before I took Charlie in that day. I, I rang the practice as soon as they were open and said, I need an urgent appointment. And can I speak to our doctor, please? And um, she was good enough to give me a call back. And we all know how busy GPs are, so that was wonderful. And uh, I said to her, look, I'm really concerned. This is what's going on. And I think we're dealing with anorexia. Um, but I need. I, I just wanted to give you the heads up. And, um, yeah, we, we went in and, um, yeah, we came out with a diagnosis that morning and uh, an appointment with a psychiatrist two days later. And what were those first few weeks like for you? Uh, it was uh, nothing short of hell, Joe. Um, it's the only mm. way to describe it. Um, yeah. Your world is turned upside down. Um, and as a, as a family, we had no idea what we were in for and we were very unprepared. Um, we had very little support. We were lucky that we had good medical support and a lot of families don't get that. So I know how fortunate we were with that. Uh, but in terms of broader support, even my own parents didn't really understand what we were dealing with. I'll always remember my father saying to me, just make her eat. Uh, and if only, if only it were that simple, that would be wonderful. But um, anyone who's dealt with anorexia knows that it's a long way away from that. Uh, you're dealing yeah. with someone who, you know, I always say it, it's like they view f- food as poison. Uh, so uh, you're, you're trying to get this, this person to eat and um, they're seeing you trying to hurt them. Uh, so you can imagine the difficulties you, ha- difficulties you have around mealtime. Um, so we, we, the first three weeks we uh, had Charlie at home from school and she had to have six meals a day, so um, three main meals and three snacks, and that's fairly standard. Um, she didn't want to eat, so each meal was taking a very long period of time and there was a lot of arguments and a lot of um, 
yelling and a lot of screaming and all sorts of horrible things that the other kids were witnessing when they were home as well from school. Uh, And then she had to stay in my presence for 90 minutes after each of these very long meals. Uh, So that was it. That was my day. There There was no time left for anything else. It was literally going from meal to meal. And if I did have any time in between each of those periods, it was about researching what what I was dealing with, how I could get more nutrition into her, um, you know, how I could convince her that um, we weren't trying to kill her, we were actually trying to help her. Um, yeah, it's really challenging, incredibly isolating um, and, and just so, so stressful. So why do you think we miss it sometimes? You said that it was a real gut feeling for you that made you go and make that GP appointment, but why do we miss it sometimes? Because so anorexia um, through its nature is just it's very sneaky and it's very manipulative. And uh, I think you know our experience of, of thinking that our child just wants to be healthy and fit and strong um, is very real for most parents out there. Um, and the person with the eating disorder becomes very good at hiding what's actually going on. Um, a lot of them end up wearing very baggy clothes and you can't even see the weight loss um, in some cases. It takes a long time to actually realise just how bad it is. Um, but a lot of um, food gets hidden. This is the thing. You think they're eating, but they're learning how to hide food from you. Uh, and that was very real in our household. And that went on for years. Um, we would find um, food in all sorts of places, in drawers, in cupboards, in, um, you know, stuffed into things. When when Charlie was in her first 12 months, you know, we used to find she, she would stuff food into her bra, into her knickers, just to hide it so that we didn't know that she wasn't eating it. Um, it's a really, really challenging disease to deal with. So being observant is obviously really the key here and writing down what's going on for the doctor is actually one of the checklist items as well as, you know, getting organised for those mountains of paperwork and appointments that come along. But also on the checklist are some tips about setting up a care team. What were those next steps with Charlie and how did you actually find your care team? So we were, again, quite fortunate because we had this wonderful GP. And again, a lot of people don't have that. Um, So uh, she sent us to this psychiatrist who had a multidisciplinary practice. So that's where we started. Um, And she was very, the psychiatrist was very much focused on eating disorders. That was her area of specialty or special interest. And so she had a a dietitian, a psychologist, uh, a nurse. It was, it was a all in one place to go. So we spent the first 12 months there. Um, and to be honest, it was really good for the first 12 months, but around the 18 month mark, um, it wasn't working so well. And uh, Charlie said to us that she was finding that going to see the di- see the psychiatrist uh, was actually pulling her back into her eating disorder every time she saw her. They didn't have a great relationship. Um, she didn't really click with the psychiatrist. And that is so important to find a treating clinician um, of whatever variety it might be who can really establish a great working relationship with your loved one. Um, So she asked if she could go back to just seeing our GP. And as parents, by this stage, you know, I I mentioned that the trust can be really damaged um, through this whole uh, experience. Alarm bells were ringing in our head. We were thinking, is this anorexia talking or is this Charlie talking? Is she being genuine in saying that it's not working for her anymore and she needs a different um, clinician, or is this the anorexia trying to get out of seeing a clinician who's actually really um, addressing the issue uh, in order to get control of Charlie again? So uh, we took a risk, and it felt like a massive risk at the time, um, and we rang our GP, 
we had to convince our GP to take over Charlie's care. She was not um, 100% comfortable to do that because it wasn't an area that she felt qualified enough in. Uh, but for us, it was about that relationship and um, she agreed to take her on and Charlie started having monthly appointments with her. And that worked. We were so lucky, but it could have gone the other way. Uh, it was a massive risk, as I said. Um, and then we also found that we had to try several different dietitians, um, several different psychologists, again, to find that right person who could really establish the relationship with Charlie that she needed in order to overcome anorexia. And that's actually one of the good points there really, isn't it, about changing up your team. Don't be afraid to change your team up if you need to. Yeah, look, I, don't be afraid, but also be prepared for it not to work um, because you do have to be very cognizant of the fact that um, it, it's not always going to be right. Um, so, yes, you do have to try different things um, and it's hard not to be afraid, but, um, yeah, you have to be prepared to maybe then change it again if it's not working. One of the other things that you do need to decide is whether to go public or private, and that's also a very personal decision. Again, this is another one of the checklist items. Look, we don't we don't see, um, we, we wouldn't recommend uh, public or private. It has to come down to what works for the person and, of course, what a family can afford. Uh, ex, you know, tr treatment for an eating disorder, if you go privately, can be incredibly expensive. Uh, so, you know, that's obviously the first first uh, thing to consider, what is actually possible for the family. Um, but there are plenty, good, plenty of good public uh sector clinicians out there. Um, we always recommend for people to go to the Australian New Zealand Academy of Eating Disorders website. They've got a page there called Connect ED and that lists um, clinicians by postcode. Uh, and the clinicians that are listed on that website all have uh, the NZ credential, which means that they've undertaken some specific eating disorder diagnosis. Uh, diagno some specific eating disorder training so that they know a little bit more than the general clinicians out there. So it's a really good starting point. Um, the other thing is to um, jump onto EDFA's Facebook forum, our private Facebook forum, because uh, lots of people come in there and ask questions about, you know, I, I need to find a dietitian in this particular area. Does anyone have any recommendations? And we're really supportive of that because um, everyone's journey is different. Uh, it's not our place as an organisation to make recommendations, but we're really happy for those conversations to happen in our Facebook forum because it does open up other avenues that can be explored for our members. There's lots of other places that people can get financial support too, government carer payments, for, for example, and carer allowance, NDIS. Yes, um, some of those can be challenging. NDIS is a little bit challenging, but, yeah, there certainly are um, – there is financial support available. It does take some time, um, like everything. Uh, a lot of paperwork. Uh, we do have them listed in our um, in our diagnosis to do list. Uh, but some of those, I mean, the, the starting point for us would be to make sure when you see your GP that you get uh, a mental health care plan and an eating disorder plan because you can get some Medicare rebated um, sessions through those, and it just saves some money there. Um, but there are other, other options available as well, including um, the government carer payment and also the government carer allowance. Uh, if you live in a rural or remote area, um, there are also options for getting some assistance with transport and accommodation costs. Jane, how did you just juggle all of this? Because you had three other kids as well in a blended family and a husband with a really busy job. How did you manage? I didn't manage well, Joe. Um 
yeah, as I said, those early days, it was all about Charlie and her eating disorder. Um, the other kids really were quite neglected um, and they were having their own experience of living in a household with an eating disorder. Um, and they, were, they, they had needs that I just couldn't address. Uh, so uh, it was very, it was very difficult. Uh, and I wasn't working, um, thank goodness, because there's no way I could have. Uh, it became a day-to-day thing. Um, when Charlie went back to school, for example, one of the things I had to do was uh, prepare a lot of food to send with her. And we were fortunate that I didn't have to go to school to supervise her meals. And a lot of parents have to do that because there's no other choice. But Charlie's school was very supportive and offered um, the school psychologist as someone who could supervise her meals. But I had to um, take a photo of uh, all the food that was packed in her lunchbox each day. I had to send a list, a very detailed list, to the psychologist each day. Um, and you know that took up quite a bit of time just in the morning alone. Um, so it, it is difficult. So it's really good to make a list Um of where, you know, the sort of help you need and where you can get it, uh, and particularly from family and friends, if, if you are lucky enough to have um, that support around you, it's really great to have um, a, a list of ways that they can help. Something that would have really helped me would have been just getting my other children out of the house um, in those particularly early days uh, when things were not pleasant at home, um, and that was probably 12 months, to be honest, and just getting the kids out for a normal day, the other ones, uh, would have been amazing. Um, but it can be simple things again, like you know, offering you know someone offering to mow mow the lawn or, or taking animals, you know, pets to uh, vet appointments, picking up parcels from the post office. Um, the thing that did help me a lot was my core group of friends who would just offer a coffee and they would just sit and listen, and they didn't really have a full comprehension of what I was going through, but they just were there for me to talk and they would listen, and that was fabulous. Mm. And the importance of self care as well how did you get by day to day was there any self-care is there any time for self-care how important looking back do you think that that was self-care is really important and I think a lot of carers particularly in the early days lose sight of that very very quickly at EDFA we always say that um, carers are the front line of the recovery team Uh, So if they fall over, if they aren't able to fulfil their role, their really crucial role in that recovery process, uh, it really can slow down um, the recovery of of your loved ones. So it's so important to take some time for yourself, even if it is just five minutes of sitting and reading a book just to get your mind away from the eating disorder uh, just briefly or having a coffee with a friend. Um, but it is difficult to fit in. Uh, so it's, it's, it has to be made a priority, whether that's at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day or in the middle of the day, you know, whenever you can grab that, that, those few minutes to yourself, um, all of us at EDFA would really encourage you to do that. So speaking to your workplace is one of those things to do in those early days. Did you go back to work? What did you do? Uh, Well, I wasn't working at the time um, that Charlie was diagnosed, uh, which was lucky. Um, I would have had to stop work. Uh, So I didn't actually have to um, talk to a workplace, uh, although I was helping my husband in his business. So I definitely had to step away from that for about 12 months. I was doing a little bit from home when I could fit it in, but it's it's all consuming. It's 24-7. Um, so it's really difficult, but it, it is something if you are working, you, you do have to have a chat to your employer and just find out what is available in terms of carer's leave, 
uh, and that sort of thing or, um, you know, long service leave, whatever it might be. Um, because we do find that if you are lucky enough to have a couple together in a family, that at least one person has to give up work full time. Um, Jane, the final and probably I think the most important thing on the list is joining EDFA. So just tell us a little bit about the services that you offer and what sets the organisation apart from other support groups. So EDFA, the thing that makes us special is that we are the only national eating disorder sector organisation that is solely looking after the carers and the families. Uh, that, that, that is, they're the people that we are here to support, just the families and the carers in recognition of the vital role they play in that recovery journey. So uh, EDFA has a support program and we run uh, support groups through, through that support program. Uh, we have eating disorder diagnosis specific support groups. So that can be, um, for example, we've got um, a support group for bulimia and binge eating. We have another support group for avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, which is ARFID. Um, So they are very much set up for the carers who are dealing with those specific diagnoses. Uh, We also have support groups that are carer specific. So um, we have a men's support group. We have a newbies support group, and that is for for people who have... um, whose loved one has been diagnosed in the last 12 months. So they're very new to the carer journey. Uh, We've also got a severe and enduring eating disorder support group, and that's for people who've been dealing with uh, the eating disorder for uh, many, many years. Uh, And we have a sibling support group because we understand, having been through it all ourselves, um, how important it is to give some support to the siblings. Uh, All of our support groups are run by uh, facilitators who have lived experience as a carer, and that's so important uh, because it means that we understand what people are really experiencing. Uh, We've also got our private Facebook forum and that's a really great place for people to jump in and just ask questions and just understand that they're not they're not doing this alone. People have been through this and they have gotten through it. Uh, Recovery is possible uh, particularly if you've got some support around you. Um, We also run education webinars and they are a fantastic resource for anyone who is at the start of the recovery journey and afterwards. Uh, But for me, it would have been particularly useful to have had access to our webinars when I first had that diagnosis for Charlie. So we've got 160 hours of webinar material in our members only area. And I can guarantee that if you have a question about an eating disorder, there will be an answer in one of those webinars on our website. That's amazing. It's an incredible resource. There's also the new service, Fill the Gap, which is a counselling service. So who can actually access that? We're really proud of Fill the Gap. Um, we think it is a service that is so needed. Uh, it is all about um, providing one-on-one online free uh, counselling sessions for eating disorder carers and family members. Um, it is open to anyone who is an eating disorder carer or family member. You don't have to be a member of EDFA to access that. Um, it is only available for people over 18 years of age. So we, um, we aren't able to help the siblings through that, the younger siblings through that. We can help adult siblings um, if they're over 18 years of age. But uh, it's really something that we saw such a great need for. Um, it addresses the barriers to counselling for our carers that existed, including you know the fact that um, they don't have to pay anything. And that, that becomes really important when you're dealing with the expense of treating someone for an eating disorder. Uh, the fact that they can do it from home, they don't have to travel to any appointments and it saves time in, in days that are so full. Um, 
And uh, the one-on-one is so important as well. It's such a safe place for people to go and uh, and to be heard and to learn skills, to be um, educated about what uh, the, the recovery journey might look like and also to deal with any stress that they might be experiencing. So one of the great things about Fill the Gap too is that it can provide a little bit of instant help for you because it's so hard to get in to see counsellors sometimes. Yes, the model that we've developed, Joe, is very much about um, – a single session intervention is what they call it. So it means that you're not going to waste time in that first session by, you know, having to tell your story, provide all the history. You can go in there and say, this is the issue I'm dealing with and I need help with this right now. And our counsellors will be able to provide that. Uh, We've got lots of resources around that service as well. So they can also send out um, some resources as well to help afterwards. Um, And it's, it's very much a service that is designed to fit the need of each individual so if if a person needed one appointment that's fine if they want to continue booking over time if they need multiple sessions that is also okay there is no cap on the number of sessions people can access we're very much about providing the help that people need for as long as they need it so Jane we like to end the podcast with some good tips so three really good takeaways that can help people who might just be in the thick of it all what are your top three tips? Oh, my first one, Joe, is always trust your gut. Um, if I hadn't listened to my gut on that day that Charlie was diagnosed, I'm not sure how far uh, anorexia would have taken her before we realised what was going on. So, yeah, trust your gut. Mums know, mums and dads and other carers, we all know we have to listen to that that um, instinct. Um, I think the second thing is to really educate yourself Uh, be prepared to find some time and to set aside some time to do some reading, uh, to watch um, EDFA's webinars um, and to speak with as many people as possible, um, particularly in a safe space where you're not going to face any judgment. So that's where our private Facebook forum is so helpful and our support groups. Uh, And I guess um, the third thing is uh, just trying to look after the other members of the family. So trying to make sure that they... um, are taken care of while you're dealing with with this horrendous situation with your loved one. Um, so try to find uh, ways of, you know, taking the focus off the eating disorder, you know, whether that might be going to a movie together or, um, you know, um, playing a board game, whatever it might be, just trying to stop the focus being all about the eating disorder, which is so, so hard, but it just gives everyone a bit of a reprieve and a bit of respite. Great tips. Thanks, Jane. Um, So trust your gut, educate yourself and look for the family distraction that might be really helpful. Um, Jane, how is Charlie now? Charlie's doing really well. Um, We're six years post-diagnosis now. Um, So she's 22. She's working. Um, She's finished a university degree. Uh, she's definitely, you know, physically she's very well. Um, Psychologically, uh, I think there's always... I'm, I'm always going to be alert um, to any signs that she's not coping. And we had an incident recently where her her beautiful pet, uh, her, her lovely cat, um, passed away. She was 16 and she, Charlie had had her since she was five. And uh, that caused a great deal of grief, uh, as expected, for Charlie. But she actually rang me and she said, Mum, I was at work. I was actually travelling for work. And she rang me. She said, Mum, I'm not coping. I feel like my mental health is deteriorating. This is shortly after we had to put her cat down. And uh, I said, well, Charlie, you know, thank you for telling me. I'm really pleased that you 
were able to share that with me uh, and you're old enough and mature enough now to recognize the signs and you need to get ahead of it and she has she's she's booked in to get some counseling and she's doing some psychology sessions and um she's doing well but it's it, it, for me it was a great sign that we're on the right track the fact that she could recognize it and she could take care of it herself and the fact that she was you know open to telling telling me what was going on because that wouldn't have happened in the first few years so good that's such a good step forward isn't it Jane, thanks so much for the work that you and your team at EDFA do. We're so glad that Charlie is doing so much better and we really appreciate you sharing both your stories and helping us through the diagnosis to do checklist on the Strong Enough podcast today. Just a quick reminder that the checklist is available online at edfa.org.au and we'll have a link in the show notes too. Thanks again, Jane. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for listening to Strong Enough, a podcast by Eating Disorders Families Australia, an organisation caring for carers around the country. Head to our website at edfa.org.au for links to more resources, including webinars, support groups and the Fill the Gap counselling services. All the links are in the show notes. And remember, you are strong enough. EDFA acknowledges Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of the land this podcast was recorded on. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and future.